Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. All right, you can be seated. It's always fun to watch an audience give you the stink eye from in the middle. Like, come on, can we sit down? Yes, you can. Now, if you're sitting in the same spot you sit on Sunday mornings, come on, people, change something. Next week, find a new row, a new section. I see some of you exactly where you were uh, three days ago. All right. Um, this, we, we are going to encourage you by the lighting to stay in the center section, and that's so you can see what the teachers each night are writing, and, and we can see you a lot better than if you get it. Now, I know some people are going to sit out on the wings because that's what God lets them do, and you can do that. Uh, you'll just be in the dark. So uh, we're going to hope this grows uh, and that you can invite people to come. Uh, I, we're intrigued by why people are coming. And it's not just a church, but what you found out by a group this size gathering uh, tonight is there a lot of us have grown up just being told certain truths that we're finding out as we experience them aren't true. Certain things like the more money you make, the happier you are. Uh, the more popular you are, the more opportunities you have that will fulfill you. And uh, we're not here to be a downer, but the truth is, as, as all of us continue on, uh, my father used to set us in our place. When he found out I was going to be a preacher, my dad had my favorite line he's ever given me. He said, Mark, the week after you're gone, they're going to have church. It's a pretty humbling truth. And I found out, after being at church for 21 years, they actually went. How, the audaciousness of having church this Sunday after I was gone. But they did. They moved on, and they're doing just fine. Our role here in life is not always the things we were told um, when we were younger. So what we're going to do is we're going to supplement what takes place on Sunday mornings with Wednesday night. And I've asked uh, Michael DeFazio. Mike, where are you? Okay, Mike's in the back. Many of you will notice Michael. He's, uh, he's preached here before. Uh, and then Chad Ragsdale, uh, who's one of our key Wednesday night teachers as well. Uh, Chad's going to open up tonight. I've asked Chad, since we're going to have a large crowd, I asked Chad to talk about tithing. Uh, wow, you were listening. Uh, he said no, he's got something more important. So uh, what I'm going to do tonight is, is just kind of let you know uh, that what I said a few Sundays in a row on this stage is not hyperbole. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I think this is the kind of series that's either going to thin this church out or strengthen it. Because there are some truths that are being communicated in the world and without a proper Christian worldview, it's easy to believe that what you're hearing is true. And it's not necessarily so. What does the Bible teach? Why does the Bible say it? And what are we as Christians supposed to do individually and corporately to live this out? So I'm going to pray, and then Chad's going to come, and he's going to introduce this entire concept. It's one of the courses he teaches at Ozark. Is why we've asked him to come, and he's one of us. And uh, so just take good notes. Remember that all of this is going to be recorded, and it's going to be available to you on uh, iTunes. It's going to be available on our webpage. So if you miss a Wednesday night or, or we go too fast and you can't take notes, we want to put the material in your hands so you're not limited to being here physically on a Wednesday or even being able to keep up on a Wednesday. A lot of material, good content. We think God wants us to do this, and so let's ask him to protect us while we do it, okay? Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for being patient with, with us when we don't always know it. Thank you for being kind to us when we've been rebellious. Thank you for showing your mercy when we have fallen down and cried out for you to pick us up. 
even after you've warned us what would make us fall. God, I would just pray that you would protect, as you have for so many years, that you would protect this congregation uh, over the next eight weeks. Not that we're taking such a great risk in this country, but we are going to find some things about ourselves, about our relationship, and about the world in which we live in uh, that we're going to be set straight, corrected, identify some false understandings and some things that we have ventured into that you would not have had us do if we had been more attentive or had more understanding or been more purposeful. So God, we confess before you, even as we begin this journey together, that you are going to teach us some things that are going to scare us. You're going to share some things with us that are going to expose us. And so in light of all of that, uh, we come as your children asking you to gently teach us to give us the courage and the spirit to be able to go forward and to realize uh, what needs changed, what needs championed, what needs reconsidered, and most of all, what all of this means to you. Just bless Chad tonight and his words and his thoughts as he teaches us, and uh, allow this to be a place where you can speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how's it going? Um, I Again, I want to thank you for being here. Um, this is really encouraging to me. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll hear from the naysayers and the skeptics, and sometimes those people are even um, friends I have that are in ministry who will say, you know, church people, Christian people, people in general just aren't much interested in thinking about issues and about deep questions anymore. And I've always felt like they were wrong about that. And uh, I think we are interested in talking about um, truth. I think we are interested in talking about important questions, difficult questions. And a night like tonight is confirmation of that for me um, to see all of you here uh, this evening. So I'm, I'm really excited about where we're going to go both on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. First thing I'm going to write up here is my uh, email address. I'm going to try to write it big enough so everybody can see it. But it's just ragsdale.chad at occ.edu. And the reason why I'm writing my email address up here is so that you don't email Mark <laughs> when, I, uh, when I say something you disagree with. No, um, uh, no, th- what I'm going to be talking about um, this evening and the other times, I'm not going to be here every week, but the other times that I'll speak, um, I- I'm going to be talking about some concepts and some ideas that, that um, maybe you have some further questions about, uh, or maybe you have some uh, difficulties with, and I just really want to encourage you, if you do have a question or, or something comes up, just shoot me an email, and I'll try to be as, as quick as possible about responding to those questions that you have. Um, don't hesitate to do that. I want to talk tonight as a way of introducing this series. Um, I want to talk about a concept. It's not really even a concept. Um, it's more of a thing. I want to talk about a thing that is one of the most real things that you experience on a daily basis that you are probably not aware of. Um, it's sort of like a fish contemplating the water. It's the most real thing in a fish's life, but it's probably one of the things that that fish is most likely to take for granted. Are you following me so far? Um, so what I'm going to talk about this evening is I'm going to introduce you to the, the concept of worldview. And the way I'm going to introduce this to you is, first of all, I'm going to give you kind of a book definition for it. 
more of an academic definition for it. And then I'm going to try to illustrate it with some pictures that might help you a little bit better to capture what this is. But again, this is, this is, this is something that is a part of our immediate experience every waking moment of our lives. But it's also something that very few of us give much thought to. And so the point of tonight is to start giving thought to it. You with me? All right, so let's just dive right in. Um, The definition that I give you uh, in your um, notes there uh, is from a book called Naming the Elephant. It's by a guy named James Sire who's done a lot of writing and reflecting on the concept of worldview. And he says that a worldview is this. It is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions. And these assumptions may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we hold consciously, subconsciously, consistently, or inconsistently about the basic constitution of reality. And that provides the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. Now, that is a mouthful, and you could literally spend an hour just breaking down that definition. Let me try to summarize it for you. What a worldview is, is it is a set of assumptions and beliefs. Sometimes you're aware of them, oftentimes you're not. Sometimes you hold them consistently, oftentimes you don't. But it's a set of assumptions about who you are, about who God is, about what your purpose in this world is. And you live according to these assumptions. Again, whether you realize it or not. And this isn't a Christian, non-Christian thing. This is like a human being thing. Every single person that you've ever known and that you ever will know has a worldview. Now, those worldviews may differ. They often do differ. Um, But every single person has this framework of assumptions that they're living their life by. But it's not just a head thing. Most, Most people aren't philosophers, okay? And even most philosophers aren't philosophers, And what I mean by that is, as soon as a philosopher closes the classroom door and walks down the hall, they really stop acting like a philosopher. They start acting like a normal human being. And, because philosophers are not normal human beings for the most part. Um, I tell my students that there's no idea so idiotic or so crazy that some philosopher somewhere hasn't advocated it in a college classroom. Um... Most people don't live their lives as philosophers. For most of us, we follow, our heads follow our hearts. Our heads follow our hearts. And you see that even reflected in this definition, that a worldview is a fundamental orientation of the heart. And what that means is, we are, some authors have put it this way, we are primarily worshiping animals, okay? And what that means is, every single one of us was created to worship something, This is as natural for us as breathing. You cannot be a living human being and not breathe in oxygen. But what a lot of people don't realize is you cannot be a living human being and not worship something. Most people don't think about it that way. Most people think about, well, I go to church on Sunday morning and I worship on Sunday morning, which you do. But you also worship in every other moment of your life as well. And what worship is, is when you give worth to something when you venerate something or lift something up in your life or say of something that that something gives me value, that something gives me meaning. That's what worship is. And so very many of us, myself included, 
fall, trap, fall into this trap of idolatry. And what idolatry is, is when we have given our heart to the living God, but then we also give worth and meaning and substance and value to other things in our lives, whether it's work or family or material possessions or whatever. And so that's why Scripture consistently critiques Uh, and rebukes idolatry and false worship because we are worshiping animals. And one one of the ways that sin has broken us is that we tend to worship the things of this world rather than the creator of this world, and our lives demonstrate that brokenness. Because when you worship broken things, empty things, you yourself are broken and empty. Um, So worldview... Just to back up, worldview is a set of assumptions that we hold about the world, about ourselves, about God. But worldview is also an orientation of the heart. Worldview is about what we're worshiping. You with me so far? Let me give you some illustrations of this. How does a worldview function? Um, And you're going to hear some of this on Sunday morning, okay? Because I'm going to be speaking on Sunday morning as well. But let me give you three pictures of, of, what a, of how a worldview functions. One picture is the picture of contact lenses. How many of you are wearing contacts right now? Okay. How many of you, before I mentioned your contact lenses, were aware of your contact lenses? Okay. Most of us, myself included, I'm wearing contacts right now. Okay. Most of us, we put our contacts in in the morning. And for a little while, they're kind of like, you know... you. You know, it's like needles in your eye, especially me, because I'm supposed to throw them away after 30 days, but everybody knows you don't do that, okay? Um, and so for a little while, you know, you're kind of getting adjusted, and you're rubbing your eyes, and everything's blurry at first, but then it comes into focus, and boom, you're ready to go. And you don't think about them again until what? Until later in the day when it's time to take them out, or, you know, um, later in the day, your eyes are getting dry, you start to become more aware that you're wearing contacts, or maybe you get, like, this is really annoying, you get a piece of dust or whatever caught underneath your contacts, and then it's like somebody's jabbing a needle in your, I mean, it's just, so, but most of the time, you're not aware of them. But they are affecting the way you see the world, nevertheless. So if I took out my contacts everything from about the second row out would be blurry to me, okay? So right now, my contacts are affecting the way I see things, even though I'm unaware of it. And this is exactly how worldview functions in the vast majority of people's lives. They hold certain assumptions about God, certain beliefs about God. They hold certain beliefs and assumptions about meaning for their life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my goal in life? Do I have a purpose in life? They they hold certain assumptions about other people. Are other people valuable or are other people useful? Those are two very different things you realize. For a lot of people, other people are useful. Other people see people as valuable. Those are two very different views on, on people. But we hold these assumptions, and these assumptions affect the way I treat people, don't they? They affect the way... I behave or I don't behave at work or in my relationships. They affect the priorities that I have with my family. They affect literally everything in my life, all these assumptions that I have. They're functioning like contact lenses. And for most people, the only time that they become aware of these contact lenses is when tragedy strikes. It's like that piece of dust getting underneath the contacts and it causes an irritation. And so, and I I saw this as a pastor, I see this as a teacher now, that when tragedy strikes a person, they lose a loved one. They go through a divorce. Um, You know, there's there's a bad diagnosis from the doctor. 
It's in those moments of crisis where you become, sometimes for the first time in your life, you become painfully aware of the assumptions that you are holding about God, about life, about others, about death. And so, and, and for us in pastoral ministry, that's a lot of times, that's our moment where we have that connection point in people's lives and we, and we get to, to address their worldview. And we get to ask questions of their worldview. And maybe, maybe you don't actually have the right prescription. Like, I knew, I knew that my pres- I, I got my prescription changed recently um, because my, I was getting headaches, you know, uh, I, I, just headaches all the time. And, and uh, I, I was, my boss actually walked by my office door one day and said, you're, you're sitting really close to your computer screen. And I, I didn't realize it, but I had. I had been creeping closer and closer and closer and closer. And so I realized, I realized that my eyesight had changed. I needed to go back to the doctor. And a lot of people, that's their experience too. Like, life just isn't quite working the way it's supposed to work. They keep on bumping into stuff. They keep on bumping into other people. They're, like, they have chronic headaches. You know, things just aren't working the way that they're supposed to work in their life. And they can't figure out why. And that's probably the reason why is they need to change their prescription. They need to change their worldview assumptions. They need to change this belief system or address this belief system in their life. Okay? So that's one way to think about it. That's one way to think about it is contact lenses. Let me give you a second way to think about it, and that's with the image of a map. Okay? Um, Several years ago, I went, uh, Ozark has this class called Wilderness Challenge. And um, uh, it's It's awesome. But it's really irritating, too, at the same time. They, they, uh, they take you to southeast Missouri, and for 10 days, you are out in the middle of nowhere by yourself with, just, with, this, other group, with this group of students. And, um, and you're roughing it. I mean, you're not even camping, okay? Uh, camping would be like a trip to, to the resort compared to this. You're sleeping under tarps. You're digging your own latrine. You're, you've packed out your own food, and you're, you're cooking your own fo- food over an open fire. You're hiking several miles a day, canoeing. I mean, it's fantastic. For anybody that loves camping, it's just a fantastic experience. But one of the things that they had us do is they taught us how to orienteer. And so they, they took us out into the, to the middle of the woods, they gave, this ma- they gave us a map and a compass. And there were no roads on the map or anything like that. It was just a, a topographical map. Um, and with all the slopes on the hills and everything else. And they taught us how to read this map to figure out where we were. And that's kind of how a worldview functions. There's a difference between the map and the territory. But a map, also, the, a map is very useful, right? A map gives you the key to know how to navigate the territory. A map gives you the right direction to go. Like, if you're going to navigate the, the subway system in a major city, New York City, Chicago, you're going to need a subway map, okay? A, a map of the state of Missouri isn't going to be much help if you're trying to navigate the subway system in New York City. So you need a map that fits the territory if it's going to be helpful. But this is how a worldview functions. You say, well, why is that person making that decision with their life? Because to me, it just seems like a, a, a really dumb, stupid decision. Like, why are they doing that? Or why are they going there? Or why are they with that person? Like, why, why are they living their lives this way? It's because they're following a certain map. They're, they're following the map of their, road, of their worldview, which is informing their decisions. It's just like if I'm trying to get from point A to B, I'm going to follow the map to try to get there. That's how people make their decisions with their life. 
They make decisions based on their worldview assumptions. Okay? They also interpret the world according to their worldview assumptions. Um, Which kind of leads me to my third point. That a worldview functions like a story. A worldview functions like a story. Um, So... I don't know, for some reason I was thinking about Frodo and Sam this week. I don't know why. Uh, But I was thinking about little Frodo and Samwise walking across Mordor to Mount Doom. Uh, For those of you who aren't Lord of the Rings fans, I apologize. Um, But from the outside looking in, this is a a ridiculous decision. Right? Two little hobbitses walking across Mordor um, to their certain doom. Why in the world would anyone do that? From the outside looking in, it's a ridiculous decision. But from their perspective, living out that story, this is the only thing that they could do, right? So they were living out this story, a story that called them to make this radical decision, this radical choice. They were living out that narrative. They were living out that story. And one of the reasons why we have a hard time um, talking to each other or understanding each other is because we're inevitably living out different stories, and, and one of the difficulties that we have is understanding the story that people are living their lives by. And like I said, it helps us to, this story of a worldview helps us to interpret our lives. Like, for instance, um, two people go to the Grand Canyon. Two people go to the Grand Canyon. You have an atheist over here. You have a, a, a committed Christian person over here. They're experiencing the same thing, right? They're experiencing... Um, the, the same phenomenon. The Christian over here says, my God, you are amazing. So the Christian is breathless with the awe of God, that God could make something as big and as overwhelming as the Grand Canyon. The atheist, on the other hand, sees the exact same phenomenon and says, it's a huge hole in the ground. Nothing more. Nothing less, but nothing more than that. It's just a natural phenomenon, giant hole in the ground. So one person is filled with awe for God, another person is filled with awe maybe of nature, but nothing more. You say, well, how does that happen? How could two people see the exact same thing and come to two radically different conclusions? It's because they're living out different stories. One person is living a story where God isn't involved, God doesn't exist. And that causes him to interpret his life one way. Another person is living a story where God is everything. And he interprets his story in a completely different way. Two men go to the doctor. Both receive a devastating diagnosis. Sorry, you have untreatable cancer. You have six months to live. They will inevitably interpret that event according to the story that they are living in. The Christian over here will interpret it one way. The person who is not a believer will interpret it a different way. It's because they're living a different story. And sometimes our our inability, the world thinks we're weird. If you're a follower of Jesus, the world thinks you're weird. Okay? Okay? And why do you do that? Why do you give money? We could talk about tithing. You know, why do you tithe your income? Why do you do something? I mean, because from the worldly perspective, it's so weird. It's so strange. 10% of your income, think about what you could do with that money. But I live a different story. I live a story that says everything I've been, everything that I have 
has been given to me, entrusted to me by my creator. And so it is my natural response of worship to want to give back to him as an offering of praise. I'm living out this story that says, God has created me and given me all the blessings of my life. A person that sees that from the outside might not understand it because they're living out a different story. Is this making sense to you? Yes? Okay. So this is, this is what worldview is. Functions like correct contact lenses. That's kind of where the, the title for this series came from. Like a map and like a story. Uh, the last thing here is that every worldview is going to answer at least four basic questions. Every worldview that a person has is, uh, is going to answer... At, in other words, every single person is trying to answer these four questions, whether they realize it or not. Okay, question number one, who am I? And that goes well beyond, obviously, your name and social security number. Like, who am I really? What am I all about? Um, the second question is, where am I? What culture do I live in? What's important about the culture that I live in? So who am I? Where am I? And then thirdly, what's wrong? Every single person that you've ever met believes that this world is jacked up. There is no exception to that. Every single person senses, and I think this is one of the things uh, N.T. Wright calls it an echo of Eden. Every single one of us carries the scars with us of Eden. We carry with us the scars of brokenness, that we realize there's something not right about this world. There's something not right about a child dying in infancy. It's just not right. There's something not right about murder. There's something not right about starvation, persecution. Something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with the world. Every worldview is trying to answer the question, really, what is wrong? And also, kind of related to that, who caused it? Who do we blame for this? And then lastly, every worldview is asking the question, what is the remedy? In other words, salvation. It's not just Christians that talk about salvation, you realize. Every single person that you've ever met is crying out for salvation, for some sort of remedy to the brokenness that they're experiencing. So we're going to do a little exercise. Um, see how we're doing on time here. Don't want to take a ton of time on this. All right. We're going to do a little exercise. I gave you um, in your little handout here the last two pages says, meet the woman who won't have babies, okay? Um, this is from um, uh, The Guardian out of the UK, um, and this is a news story about a, a, a young woman. I want you to read this, and um, I want you to read it. Now, this might be tough for some of you. <laughs> I, I want you to read it um, as non-biased as possible. I want you to read it asking these four questions. How is this woman in this story, how is she answering these four questions in her life? Okay? So that's all I want you to do. I want you to read this story, and I want you to think about these four questions. How is she answering them? I'll give you a few minutes to do that. If you want to talk amongst yourselves, that's fine too. Um, so go ahead, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, so here's our four questions. Who am I? Where am I? What's wrong? What's the remedy? Um, how is this young woman answering just the first question? Who am I? How does she see herself? What is her identity? Yell it out. 
Savior of the world. Interesting. You know, you know what happens um, in, in a moment? I'm going to talk about the three major worldviews. But what inevitably happens in a naturalistic worldview, or if you want to think of it this way, an atheistic worldview, is that in, in atheism, you are both the cause of and the solution to all of the world's problems. So you're both the Antichrist and the Christ at the same time. Um, I mean, and without, without going off on, way off on a tangent, that's really what environmentalism in, very, in its various forms, that's, that's one of the forms that it oftentimes takes. That we are destroying the planet, and we are the only savior for this planet too. Um, which, it's, it's hard for me to not be cynical about that, Frank, that, you know, somehow I'm saving the planet by not throwing away my Mountain Dew can. If that's all it takes to save the planet, my goodness, I'm awesome. I'm an awesome Messiah. Um, see how cool I am? I saved the planet. Um, okay, how else does she see herself? As a burden, perhaps, yeah. I think, that's, I think that that's a fair assessment. Um, she's a burden, I'm a burden, you're a burden. We're all kind of a burden to this planet. So what's primary? What's primary? I know it's not a question that's up here, but for her, what is primary above everything else? Like, what's most important? Environment. But even more than environment, because that's kind of a loaded term. Well, the created world, right? Nature, right? Now, here's, here's how worldview works. If, you're, if you believe about yourself that I'm not really created in the image of God because I'm not really even sure there is a God. I'm just kind of a happy accident of the universe. I'm, I'm just basically a highly evolved animal. If that's who you believe you are, and that's who you believe everyone else is, then why would you privilege humankind above any other life form? If that's all you are. See, it's been a part of the Christian worldview ever since, really, the beginning, ever since Genesis 1 and 2, that there's something distinct about who we are, created in God's image. Broken, but also created in God's image. If that's not your worldview, then you could see how A leads to B leads to C. Well, why, why are we privileging humanity? Why bring another human into the world that's going to cause another burden on nature, on environment? If everyone worships something, what or who is she worshiping? What would you say? No, I wouldn't even say herself. I don't, I don't know if that's fair. I would say, yeah, creation. Creation becomes a substitute for the creator. Now, I'm trying to be charitable. I'm really, I, I, I don't... I don't want to sit in a position of, of rebuke or judgment. Or, I mean, I, we're trying to understand, okay? I, we're trying to understand the concept of worldview. Um, that's what we're trying to go about doing. Um, how does she see her life? How does she see the world? How does she see her place in it? Um, and then in a moment, we're going to turn the focus on ourselves. Um, where is she? Where is she? And does that matter? It does matter, actually. Okay, she's the one making a difference. She's the heroic figure here, making a difference, yeah. She's living on her God. She's experiencing it, 
every day. Yeah. Okay. Medical outcast. Oh, radical outcast. Okay. All right. That makes a little bit more sense. Does the fact that she lives in the UK mean anything? Probably so. Probably so. Because you probably wouldn't find a worldview exactly like this in other cultures around the world. Just as an observation. That where we are actually does matter the way we see the world. I guarantee to you, you, if you grew up in southwest Missouri, let's just be really, really local for a second. If you grew up in southwest Missouri, you probably see the world a little bit different at least from those who moved here from other places. Do you think that's fair? Okay. So, okay, I grew up by Chicago, okay, and I've, I, I actually just passed the threshold this year where I've spent more years now in Missouri than I spent in Illinois, okay? That was really a shock to me. Um, but still, where I grew up, it affects you. It affects your worldview. It really does. And, and we shouldn't be so naive as to miss that point, that it really does. And I think where she's growing up in her culture, that probably does affect her worldview as well. Let's move quickly on to the third question. We've already talked about this a little bit. What's wrong? What's wrong? Overpopulation, yeah. Pollution. We are corrupting the planet. And so for her, what's the remedy? I think, well, this whole story is about the remedy that she took. Pretty radical choice. Yeah. Now, here's my point. Here's my point. For us, on the outside looking in, we look at her story, we're like, really? Such a weird decision. Such an unusual decision. And even doctors in her life are like, that's a weird decision. I don't think I want to perform that surgery. But here's how worldview functions like a story. Because she's living out this story, and for her, it makes all the sense in the world. This is the story that she's living her life by. And for her, it makes a certain amount of sense. Okay? Now, I don't think that that necessarily means that we shouldn't critique it or whatever, but this is the story that she's living by. And, and again, one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to understand other people sometimes is because we don't actually think about, well, how do they see the world? Um, now, let's turn the, turn the focus on us. Or, or at least as a Christ follower. And I know some of us in this room are here because we are seeking, and that's great. I'm glad you're here. But if you're, if you're a Christ follower, how do you answer these four questions? I want you to actually write this down on the paper in front of you. This would be a nice little exercise for you. Write down how you answer these four questions. Now, I want to be sensitive to the room because I, I know that there's people here tonight that are still trying to answer some of these questions. Um, you've got some some genuine concerns, questions, confusions in your life. And that's part of the reason why you're here tonight. And I want to be sensitive to that. And I want to affirm you for coming here tonight. I'm so glad that you're here. And that's hopefully one of the things that we can try to accomplish through this series as we think about corrective lenses. How can we help to see the world more clearly the way that God designed it? But according to, you know, according to a a Christian worldview then, as you think about these questions... How would you answer the first one? Who am I? How would you answer that? Okay? You're special. You are special. Absolutely. Okay. 
The creation of God. Great. Not a, not a happy accident of the universe. A creation of God. What else? Who am I? An heir to the king. What's that in the back? Okay. Chosen. Good. Theologians talk about what they call the Imago Dei, the image of God. And that's, oh my goodness, that's, that's something that's going to be unpacked, I think, in one of our Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. We're going to unpack what exactly that means to be made in the image of God. Um, but yeah, Frank, I kind of like the way you put it, the very first word. I'm special. Okay? Um, what about the second question? Where am I? Huh? We're here temporarily. Okay? Okay, good. Living in and among God's creation. So what you're getting at there is, is an overall, un- here's your worldview glasses that you're wearing. When you look at the world around you and when you look at your neighborhood, this is God's world. This is God's world, and I am a steward of it. Um, you know, by the way, Christians should be environmentalists. Maybe not the way that this particular woman is, but... Christians should care about God's world, right? It's God's. We should be good stewards of it. Um, so that matters. Um, good. What about the third question? What's wrong? The fall, sin. I mean, we, we live in a broken world, right? A broken world caused by who? Now, that's an important question. That's a, an important follow-up. Caused by our own rebellious choice. So this isn't God causing the brokenness. It's sin that causes the brokenness. And I think that that matters, and it matters quite a bit. What's the remedy? There, there I heard it. I was, I was listening for it. It's the, it. it's the Sunday school answer. I mean, this is everything. It's Jesus. That Jesus is the remedy and the only remedy. Can I be my own savior? Absolutely not. Jesus has been, has came and he has offered to save me. He has um, died in my place. He has defeated death in the resurrection. So Christians acknowledge the brokenness of the world, but they also acknowledge that we are the objects of God's love and God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Now here's the follow-up question to all this. Who cares? You say, well, what do you mean, who cares? That's exactly what I mean, who cares? The question that confronts us, we have to go beyond just words on a page. Like, this is what I believe. This is who I am. This is what's wrong. This is how Jesus fixed it all. That's not what worldview is. Worldview isn't words on a page. Worldview is a story that we live our lives by. So the question that confronts each and every one of us is, how are we living out the story of the gospel. Are we living, are we conducting our way, our lives in such a way that we actually point to and protect the dignity of all people? Do we live our lives and conduct our lives in such a way that we acknowledge that this world is corrupt and broken, but we also acknowledge that this world is not hopeless? See, a lot of Christians living with the same sense of helplessness and hopelessness that the world lives with. And I'm like, no, that's not the story that we're living by. We're not hopeless. We're realistic, but we're not hopeless. You see what I'm getting at? Do we live this story with consistency in our lives? That's the question that really 
confronts each and every one of us. Now, I'm going to return back to that here in a second. But before we do that, I want to, I want to be a little bit more technical. Um, if this doesn't matter to you, tune me out for the next few minutes. Um, some of you are wondering about this. Um, in, in, your, uh, in your notes, you see that there are three basic worldviews that I've identified. And these are extremely basic, okay? Worldviews are, 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 I mean, it's sort of like hair color, no one's is precisely the same, okay? Um, it's world, so we're going to talk in some really broad brushstrokes, okay? Um, but there are three, just broadly speaking, in the world today, there are three basic worldviews. Theism, pantheism, naturalism, you see those highlighted there. I've, I, I break it down this way on the board. You can see it up here. Some of you in the back might have to strain your eyes a little bit. But the fundamental question here is, is there a God? If the answer to that question is yes, we'll come back to that in a second. If the answer to that question is no, then congratulations, you're a naturalist. Or an atheist, or whatever you want to call it, okay? But that doesn't let you off the hook. A lot of people who proudly proclaim that they're an atheist, they think that that solves all of their problems, but it doesn't. It only introduces a million more problems. Because... The question that confronts you when you reject the existence of God is the question that I wrote up on the board. So what provides meaning for your life? What provides meaning for your life? I I have a class um, on Christian apologetics and worldview. um, And uh, actually, Tim, you were in that class. You did this assignment. Um, I have an assignment every single semester that students have to sit down with a non-believer and just talk to them. Um, uh, and there's a series of questions that I want, to at, want them to, to talk about. Um, one of the questions that I have, a, I, I have them ask is this. What's life all about? What, what provides meaning and purpose for your life? You want to know how about 85% of people answer that question? in my years teaching this class, it's wonderfully consistent. About 85% answer the question this way. Life is about being as happy as possible. Life is about being as happy as possible. That that is the standard of meaning in my life, which is a terrifying prospect. I mean, because what percentage of your life do you really feel like you're happy? I mean, honestly. Because you think that certain things will bring you happiness, and maybe they do bring you happiness for a season, but then guess what? You're not happy again. And so you go searching for more happiness, and you maybe become happy for a certain period of time, and then guess what happens? You're not happy again. And so this makes sense that people would see this as a purpose for life, because it's a never-ending purpose. You never really attain it. So of course, if if I'm not a believer, like, this is all I have. This is all I have to work forward to, is maybe I could be happy. But the question is, where is meaning to be found? And so here's a number of different ways that people answer this question. Where is meaning found? Some people answer this question, I'm going to throw some isms at you, okay? Don't be scared of it. It's all right. You'll survive. I'm going to throw some isms at you. One way that people answer this question is through naturalism. And that's the experience of this, this woman that you just read about. Just investing yourself in the natural realm. Naturalism. Whenever you see an ism word, that's a code word for meaning. Whatever comes before the ism, that's where meaning is. Okay? That's where the good stuff is, or at least where we think the good stuff is. 
So whenever you see an ism word, pay attention to what comes before it. Another ism word is existentialism. Have you heard that word before? Existentialism. Let me just give you a a real basic definition of this. Existentialism is living your life on your own terms, doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, getting as much experience out of life as possible. It's not about getting rich. It's not about getting wealthy. It's about having an accumulation of experiences. I want to live life on my own terms, in my own way, and this is just, and you have no say in the matter. You know anybody like that? It's existentialism. Because there really is no overarching purpose for life. All I'm left with is my own experience. All I'm left with is my own authentic person, free of any other uh, controls. Okay? Uh, another way that people answer this question is, and this isn't going to come as a surprise to you, materialism. Materialism. And you know what that is, don't you? Maybe I can fill up the gap in my life with toys. We never really grow out of that toddler mindset where we go through the Toys R Us catalog and we circle everything on the page, except for the baby dolls, you know. Um, We never really grow out of that. We may become more sophisticated, but we still want all the toys because we think the accumulation of toys will make us what? Happy. So that's materialism. Another ism, and this will be a scary ism, um, another ism is nihilism, and I'm probably going to have to write that up on the board. N-I-H-I-L-I-S-M. Um, uh, nihilo means nothing. And ultimately, and, and you may know people like this when, in your life, people who have rejected God, they've turned their back on God, they don't believe in God, and they face the stark reality that maybe there is no meaning in this world. Maybe there is no meaning in this life. There's no meaning to be found. Material stuff just gets thrown in the dump. Experiences, the joy that comes from certain experiences and living life on my own terms, that fades with time. Um, The natural world is falling apart anyway. And so we come face to face with the reality that when you cut out God from your life, there really is nothing else left that can provide ultimate meaning for our lives. Now, as depressing as that sounds, you know how many, how many people actually s- respond to nihilism? This is going to surprise you. The way many people respond to nihilism is by laughing. I'll give you the, a great example of this. I'm 36 years old. When I was growing up, the more, most important television show that there was was Seinfeld. Okay. Um, still love the show. Seinfeld is a show about what? Nothing. I'm so impressed that you know that. (laughs) And it is. Seinfeld is a show about nothing. Or really, it's a show about the surface-level things of life. You laugh about the surface because the dirty little secret is there's nothing below the surface. There's no meaning, there's no substance, there's no value to anything below the surface, and so you laugh at the meaninglessness of it all. This is, the, this is, a, this is a show like The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. It's a very nihilistic show, but it basically laughs at the meaninglessness of our world and our culture. And guys, honestly, so many people who have rejected God and turned their back on God, 
they may be trying to live existential lives. They may try to live naturalistic lives. They may try all these things, but there is this ache that they experience in their soul. This constant ache that reminds them that there really isn't meaning to be found. There really isn't hope to be found. I run into this all the time with, you know, you know the, the number one reason why people turn their back on God? Typically, it's not for intellectual reasons. You know why most people turn their back on God? Because of pain. Hurt. Dad died when I was young. My parents got divorced. They took me to church every single Sunday and they still got divorced. God must not be real. Pain. People turn their back on God because of pain. But what I always remind people is, turning your back on God because of pain doesn't make the pain go away. The pain is still there. But what you've done is you've actually rendered the pain meaningless. You've actually stripped that pain of any sort of meaning. So you're left with the pain, but you don't have any sort of remedy. You don't have any sort of hope or any sort of solution. And so many people who reject God, inevitably, this is, this is what they face. Let's go back over to this side. So you do believe in God. Well, we know that not everybody that believes in God believes the same things about God, right? So follow-up question to that is, is God personal? And if you answer yes to that, we'll come back to that. But if you answer no, God isn't personal, you're basically a pantheist. And pantheists, um, this is especially Eastern people or New Age mystical people who believe that really God is everything or God is in everything. So God exists, but God is really kind of everywhere. You're God, I'm God, um, whatever. That's pantheism. Now let's go back over here. Yes, you believe in a personal God. The follow-up question to that is, well, what do you do with Jesus? Do you believe that God exists as Trinity? If the answer to that is yes, then you're a Christian. If the answer to that is no, then you're a Jew or a Muslim. But this is kind of how we, we can break down the basic differences in worldview. Most of the people that you and I live our lives with, though, are not really on this board. They're not. Atheists, especially in southwest Missouri, I mean, it's, it's like a rare sighting. I, I, I talked to, talk to some of our high schoolers about this. Um, um, some of our high schoolers at CIY this summer, they, uh, they, oh my goodness, I only have 10 minutes left. Um, this was fantastic. You should be so proud of your high schoolers. Um, the sophomore boys came up to me the last night at CIY. And it's 12.30 at night. Came up to me and said, hey, we really need you upstairs. And I'm immediately thinking, go find Luke Green or Adam Everett, okay? I'm not putting out this fire. Um, that's my, you know, high school boys last night at CIY. You know, you're thinking the worst, okay? Um, so I go up there. All the sophomore boys were gathered together in the room and said, we have a question for you. We have several friends who are saying that they're atheists. How can we talk to them? Oh, it was so amazing. I've never had a more attentive class. It's 1.30 in the morning, last night at CIY, and they're all there with Bibles open, taking notes. I'm like, my own students don't even do this. Uh, because, because here's the thing, because they love their friends and they, want, they don't want to see them live lives of hopelessness. So they want to hear, how do we talk to our friends? 
You know the very first thing that I told them, though? Do not be mystified by a student who says that they're an atheist. Because especially in high school, a student that says that they're an atheist, again, big, broad brushstrokes, okay? This isn't always the case. But typically, a student that says they're an atheist as a sophomore in high school, they're really just looking for attention. It's not as if they've sat down with works of Nietzsche and philosophy and science, and they've, they've done all these, this, this very difficult, hard-thinking work, and at the end of all of this, this detailed study, they've come to the conclusion, oh, I guess God doesn't exist. But a lot of times we mystify them like, oh, an atheist, you know? And we assume like they're smarter than me or they've thought more about this than I have. The reality is they haven't, for the most part, for the most part. Most people in our lives, though, like I said, are not on this board. Because most people that you encounter in your life who are not professing Christians, or maybe even they're antagonistic towards Christianity, it's not necessarily that they're atheists. They're apatheists, is what I call it. I'll write, I'll write that up on the board. Um, apatheists which basically means they're apathetic about God. They're apathetic about God. Or they don't really give God much thought. Or maybe they have a surface-level belief in God because, after all, you live in southwest Missouri and doesn't everybody believe in God. But they don't really live their lives as if God matters. They don't spend much time worrying about God and whether or not God wants something for their lives. And, and so this is kind of the difficulty of the culture that you and I live in, where you are encouraged to be a Christian, but it's okay to be an apatheist Christian. A Christian that doesn't necessarily, or a person who doesn't necessarily care about what God's demands for their lives might be, or doesn't necessarily even understand that or whatever. And so that's most people that you know, um, and maybe some of you in this room even, that's the category that you fall in. Like, I do believe that there's a God. Like, if you push me to the wall and you force me to, yeah, like, I think, you know, you look at the world around you, yeah, there is a God, but I just, I don't know, I don't think about God very much. I don't think about whether or not God really has anything planned for me in my life. Like, I don't give it much thought. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Um, I think that's where a lot of people, that's where their worldview is. So one of the things we're trying to do on Sunday, this coming Sunday, is we're trying to break out of that to actually start asking some of these questions. And does God actually want something for my life? Um, all right, I'm running short on time. So let me just fly through some of the rest of this. On the back side of this, here's, here's what this is. I just gave this to you because I knew I wouldn't have enough time to cover it, okay? This is something I do in class. Um, but worldview affects all of these different categories. You see the top chart there, God, cosmos, or creation, humans, knowledge, ethics, death, history, beauty. Um, I wanted you to have that just to know that worldview affects all of these different categories, the way people think or regard their lives. Like just like real quick, beauty. Like what counts as beauty? You ever go to an art gallery, like you go to Crystal Bridges or something down in Arkansas, and like you enter into a wing of the art gallery that just has you scratching your head. Like what? How did, this ain't art. See my five-year-old girl do better than this, you know? Like, it's so weird, you know? Like, what, what possess? You know what art is? Art is a reflection of the way you see the world. Um, 
art is really an enactment of how you see the world. Um, there's, a, there's a composer named John Gage who, who composed, he's a classical composer, he's a postmodern classical composer. He composed a song called Four Minutes and 38 Seconds. You know what the song consists of? Four minutes and 38 seconds of complete silence. For real. And it, but it's because of his worldview. His worldview, and he's actually said this, his worldview is that this world is chaos. This world has no overarching meaning or purpose. And so his music, he said this, his music is an attempt to reflect this chaos. He has another song where he intentionally manipulates um, the soundboard on a, on a grand piano so it produces all sorts of discordant notes and everything else. And he just plays a completely random song and this is his art because the universe is random. And in class, I always put a YouTube clip of him side by side with a YouTube clip of Bach and artists playing a cello concerto from Bach. Just to illustrate this point, Bach, Bach was a worship leader. You realize that? Okay, he was like Isaac Shade, only without the curly hair, okay? But this was his deal. He was an organist for a church. Did you know that? He was an organist for a church, and so many of the, the, the pieces that he wrote were for church. And the beauty, I love Bach, the beauty of what he wrote is a reflection of how he saw God's world, full of beauty, full of order. And he wanted to reflect that back to God. John Gage over here sees the universe as crazy and chaotic and without meaning, and his art reflects that too. And so here's what I've done on the back here is I've given you these different categories, and people live out their worldview stories in these different areas. So it, it changes the way they see death, it changes the way they see history, it changes the way they, they think about knowledge and can you know anything that's real or do you not know anything that's real? It changes all these things. The last thing is just uh, basically a worldview comparison. But I want to go back to the last thing, in the last five minutes that I have. Quick, quick, quick. I need you to tune me in. You're going to hear some of this repeated on Sunday morning, and I don't apologize for that, okay? Um, it's because it's this important. I want to go back to this so what question. And it's kind of the question over this entire series. Who cares? Okay? Is this just an academic thing? Is this just a philosophical thing? Like, who cares? What's the purpose? Let me give you two reasons why you should care. Reason number one is wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom to know how to engage this world, how to engage our culture, how to engage our friends and neighbors. Because if you're going to engage your friends and neighbors with the gospel, you, you, you know what the first step probably has to be? You probably have to come to understand the worldview story that they're living. How do you see the world, really? What are the assumptions that you have? And like a good friend who keeps on bumping into things, you might have to come along and say, you know what, I think you need to get your eyes checked. Because the way I see it, your life ain't working. You're bumping into stuff. You're having migraine headache. I mean, maybe you, need, maybe you actually need to think about changing your lenses. Maybe, there, maybe, there, maybe the lo most loving thing that we could do is to tell somebody there's a better prescription. There's a better way to see the world and to see your life. And they, they might be resistant to that. Okay? They might actually be offended at that, at least initially. 
But if we're going to have wisdom in knowing how to engage our world, how to engage our neighbors, we have to think in terms of worldview. How are other people seeing the world? And also, how are we being asked to see the world? One of the things I have my students do is they have to take some item from pop culture. Tim, what did you guys do in your, in your project? Video games. Okay. So they did this whole project on video games. And here was the question. What message is gaming culture sending to us about worldview? In other words, what is the worldview of gaming culture? And I've had other students that have done like social media, Disney movies, whatever. I mean, they just choose something. It's a good question to ask. What is the worldview of the culture that we live in? It's a fantastic question. And guys, that's something that'll mess you up once you really start asking this question. Like every time you go to the mall, you realize a trip to the mall is a trip into a different worldview. Because when you go to the mall, these these questions are being answered in a radically different way. When, when you turn on the TV Sunday and it's kickoff day for the NFL, something, I mean, it's a holiday on my calendar, okay? It pervades our culture, but you got to understand these questions are being answered in a particular way, and if you're not wise to that, you're going to miss it. And you're going to get seduced into it. You're going to get seduced into seeing the world through a different set of lenses, and so many Christians, they're confused because on Sunday morning, they're hearing one thing. The rest of the week, they're hearing another thing. It's because that you, literally you're living your life with one eye having one prescription, another eye having a really bad prescription, and it's disorienting. And that leads me to the second point that I'm going to end with. It's important for wisdom. It's also important for discipleship. It's important for discipleship, which is just a fancy word that means following Jesus and learning from Jesus. There's another part of your handout, which I, again, I knew I wouldn't have time to do this because I'm long-winded, so I just gave it to you. Um, there's another part of your handout on the book of James. It's just some of, my, some of my summary observations about the book of James. I have come to think of the book of James as being largely about worldview because the constant plea in the book of James is be consistent be consistent. If you believe that Jesus is this, if you believe that you are this because of Jesus, then what impact does that make on your day-to-day life? Be consistent. It's helpful to talk about these questions and to be confronted by these questions because, again, worldview just to circle back to where we started, worldview is that thing which we encounter more than any other thing in our waking lives. But we are so often so very unaware of it. And when we aren't aware of it, it's at that point when we become inconsistent. When we live our lives on Monday in a radically different way than what we've just declared on Sunday. And the world has other words for that, words like hypocrisy and other things. But really, it's it's an issue of worldview consistency. 
does your life match up with the assumptions you have about God and about yourself and about the world? Okay? We're out of time. Um, Thank you so much for being here. And again, if you have questions, feel free to email me, grab me afterwards, whatever. So, Um, quickly, heavy, deep, and right now some of you are frustrated going, huh? No. We're going to get there. Here's why. Worst fight I ever saw my mom and dad get into was when my dad dressed me one day for church, and my mom thought he was poking fun at her. I was six years old. I remember it. They started arguing like I'd never seen them fight before because my dad mismatched me. And my dad kept saying, it goes perfectly. It was at that moment when I was six, we discovered my dad was colorblind. My, my mom thought he was being a turd. He's colorblind. So my mother went in to his closet and put stickers up that said green, brown, blue. You get the point. This whole series and everything this brilliant man just put in front of us is putting stickers up saying, this is true, this is false, be careful, watch your step, do not touch. You guys shake your head if you're getting this. When we're done with this, the stickers will be in place, and we get to choose to be obedient. I love what we're learning because there's a lot of isms. I'm guilty of most of them, especially that apathy toward God. So here's our challenge. This is, we're going to react to one another every Wednesday night. Michael might do it. I might do it. There's no truth of God that goes out there. We don't say yes, sir, or no, sir, to. So in light of what we discussed tonight, which is powerful, um, are you willing to let God identify things in your closet you're not to wear? And things that he says, wear that a little more often. Or maybe, where did you get that? Anyway, however it comes, at the end of the day, these smart guys are going to help us see that. And we'll see y'all on Sunday. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.